Morning, everyone. Man, wasn't that, Jen, thank you so much, and Michaela and Daryl for leading us this morning. Uh, wasn't that a great time of worship? Just an, an opportunity to worship the Lord, amen? I am so glad that a mask in no way hinders me from worshiping Jesus, in no way. I don't feel any, any hindrance to how I'm able to worship and sing because of that thing on my face, so... This morning is part three of our series, Understanding and Desiring the Gifts of the Spirit, focusing on 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, as we are seeking to explore and stir desire for the gifts of the Spirit in this church and in our lives. And we want to stir that up. As Paul says in another part, by way of reminder, I want to stir you up. So I want to stir you up this morning by way of reminder from the word of God. And I want to begin again with the question. I've asked it the last two weeks. Maybe you're like, I know what's coming. I want to put this to you again as by way of encouragement. And again, to kids, this is not separate from the adults. How many of you know, is there more than one Holy Spirit? No. Kids, is there more than one Holy Spirit? Is there stages of the Holy Spirit? No. There is one Holy Spirit. And I want to ask you again this morning, do you want more of the Holy Spirit? Yes. I amen to that. Do you want more of God's presence in your life? Yes. And so, you know, and here's the thing. I was thinking about this last night. God's presence is here. So just a slight clarification. It's not that he's not here. It's us Asking him, make us more aware of your presence. Because he's here. It's not that he isn't. We don't have to somehow like, oh, I hope he's here. No, he's here. Think about that. The Holy Spirit, the living God who created all things is here. Make us more aware, Lord, of your presence. So I was on a board call this week with Clearwater College. And not because of this morning at all. It just happened that the topic of tongues came up right at the beginning as we were getting going in our board meeting, and I was like, oh, this is going to be good. And so one of the board members, his name also is Paul, he shared his experience as a college student as he was welcomed into this new church. I think it, and I think it might have been connected with Clearwater because he went to that college way back. But he said he came into this prayer meeting, and all the people are in a circle, and he says he's, he's the new kid, and he, he's ushered in and welcomed in. But he says all of a sudden all the people, like kind of one of those start praying in tongues in this service. And he's like, what is this? Like, he's like, I had never experienced this before. He's like, I didn't. He's like, what are they, what are they saying? What's coming out of their mouths? And so then, and he's realizing as he's saying in the circle, he's like, it's coming to me. Like, what am I going to do when it gets to me? So he says it gets to him and there's a few moments of like silence. And then all of a sudden the guy beside him starts picking it up and starts speaking in tongues. He's like, whew, phew. Missed then. So he's sharing this story with us. And then one of the guys on our board call says, yeah, but Paul, didn't you grow up in a Pentecostal church? And he's like, I did. But he's like, for whatever reason, my parents never talked about that. They never shared that with me. And I was like, that's so interesting. And so I, I was thinking about that after our meeting. And I, I emailed him and I said, hey, can I use this story this morning? He says, go for it. And then he said, and, he, and then he just clarified in his email without prompting, he said, you know, we grew up in an independent church that was a plant off of a Mennonite church that then was filled with the Spirit. 
And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Like, isn't that? And I was just like, God, like just the timing of the Lord in all this. And so I, I share that because I, as I was thinking about that, I thought this is really relevant for us here this morning because I, I don't, there, there's probably some of you here right now who are like, you've heard about tongues or you've heard people speaking with weird sounds and syllables out of their mouths and you're like, what, what is that? Like, what, what exactly is that? And maybe, you know, you don't understand it or don't know what to make of it all. And I was thinking about that in relation to, like, this guy, Paul, who, as a kid, he came into Bible college out of a Pentecostal, out of a church filled with the Spirit and hadn't heard about tongues. And I was like, I was gripped this week going, we need to talk to our kids about tongues because this is something that is biblical and I want to talk about this. I don't want my kids going to Bible school someday and going, my dad never even talked about that. So we're going to spend the majority of our, our time this morning looking at the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy from 1 Corinthians 14. And, and we're doing it seeking to understand and stirring desire for the gifts of the Spirit amongst us. And we don't want to miss, I certainly don't want to miss the focus that Paul puts on tongues and prophecy. He devotes the better part of a chapter, a pretty long chapter in this letter, all to this. So this wasn't just some little like mention in, a, in you know, some obscure little sentence in the New Testament that we've just kind of taken and we've hyped up and we've made it way bigger than this. Well, this was like, this was something he really delved into in Corinthians. And so we want to be faithful to the word and faithful to what the Lord has given us in understanding this. And we want to, we want to, um, now he does this, Paul does this after speaking about the gifts already earlier, right? In 1 Corinthians 12, we know that. And the necessity of their connection, the gifts connection to agape love. And we're going we're gonna to talk, that's next week. We're going to get into 1 Corinthians 13 and agape love. But Paul really unpacks here and clarifies these two important gifts. And, you know, may, maybe it's obvious, but just to mention again, I just want to remind us, this is about the move of the Spirit amongst us. This is about the Spirit moving in his people. God wants to move in his people. This is not some weird, obscure doctrine. This is, this is in the word of God. So, 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, we're going to read the first five verses here to begin. And it'll be on the screen behind me. So Paul begins and he says, Follow the way of love. Now he's, 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 again, he's jumping from 1 Corinthians 13. And he says, and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Father, we give all of this again to you this morning. We give your word uh, 
give it this, just, we, we ask that you would glorify yourself through your word this morning. We just, everything we have, we want to give it to you this morning. We want to receive all that you have for us. Lord, open up our understanding for your word. Give us love for your word and desire and affection for your word and what you've written here. We thank you, Father, for how you've revealed this to us. May you open up our hearts and our minds to receive. Amen. I'm just going to grab my water. So, in the first, these first few verses here, both tongues and prophecy are spoken of, and, and connections are made between the two as it applies to their use in the church. And we'll, we'll focus, focus first on prophecy, and, and then we're going to move on to tongues. So, let's talk about the gift of prophecy in the church. Verse 1, he sees Paul here again. He's putting a, a strong emphasis on having this eager desire for the gifts of the Spirit amongst us, especially the gift of prophecy, he says. And the presumption here that Paul's working from is that the body of Christ desires the manifestations of the Spirit amongst them. That he's, he's spoken of that, and he's just, he's, he, well, and because of what the Corinthians were already living in, he's like, I know you want more of the Spirit. And so this is where he's coming from. And, and there's this eagerness on our part. There's to be this eagerness on our part to experience and have the gifts given to us. So if we're looking for reasons to dismiss or justifications to um, dismiss the need for the manifestation of the Spirit amongst us, we may actually be moving into the realm of attitudes and behaviors that quench the Holy Spirit that Paul speaks of in 1 Thessalonians 5. And we don't want to do that. We want to be people, rather, who are praying, seeking, being willing to take risks for, this, for the Spirit to pour out his gifts on us and others. And the reason that Paul puts such a strong emphasis on the gift of prophecy operating amongst us is because it brings strengthening encouragement and comfort to us and builds up the church. Paul says in verse 5 to the Corinthians that he desires that every one of them would speak in tongues. But even more, he says, if it, if it really comes down to the two, he's like, I'd rather have you prophesy. He's not saying, I don't want you to speak in tongues. No, I want you to, but really want you to prophesy. He says, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Unless, he says, there's the, an interpretation along with the tongue that's given because then it acts like prophecy. If there's an interpretation given to a tongue, well, then it's, then it's edifying and it's working like prophecy in the church. We'll get to that. So what exactly are we talking about when we talk about prophecy? When, like, what does that mean when we're talking about this? It's an explanation of the present in light of the revelation of God in his word. It's a word from the Lord through a member of the body inspired by the Holy Spirit and given to the rest of the body to build us up together. So there's some core beliefs when it comes to prophecy and scripture and how we handle this. We hold to the belief that the authority of the original apostles is unique, that no prophecy or writings are on par with the canon of scripture. That's what got Joseph Smith and the Mormons in trouble. This being the case, every prophetic word has to be assessed in light of Scripture as our defining authority. So meaning prophetic words don't carry the same weight as Scripture for our lives. In fact, not even close. They're not even in the same ballpark as Scripture. 
And we must resist the temptation to put weight, more weight on personal words from Jesus that can contradict or replace scripture or add to scripture or encourage us to disregard what scripture teaches. We just say, we do not want that. We want to be people of the word. But as we see in verse three, prophecy is for the building up of the church, meaning helping you to follow the way of Jesus. That's, that's what building up the church is. Edification, building up of the church. It's spoken of seven times here in this chapter. That's a lot. That's a lot for Paul to be going back to. So how do we understand the prophetic gift? Later, later in 1 Corinthians 14, it speaks of the gift of prophecy being a regular occurrence when the church gathers. It's not like something that rarely happens. Paul speaks of it like it's very normal. And we should make allowance for this in the body with some guidelines. Different individuals at different times may operate in this gift, but then, but may not have a consistent, sustained prophetic gift. They may not have that gift always, but they may, there may at times God releases them into the prophetic. But there may also be those who are given a sustained prophetic gift to be used consistently for the building up of the body. Again, not on par with the original prophets in scripture, all words are always under the authority of Scripture and important to come under the local leadership of the church and operate in humility with how we handle words. This is where those who believe that they have a prophetic gift need to hold their gift with open hands before pastoral leaders and resist the temptation to move out on their own. We can also consider that the preaching of God's word actually in itself, what we're doing right here, what we do Sunday after Sunday has a prophetic element to it that we're teaching God's revealed truth and we're providing application for our lives that has elements of the prophetic in it. But it's different that teaching, preaching and prophetic gifts are different. God can speak to our hearts as well from scripture as we worship and we may feel it's meant at the time for the church as a whole as God's giving us something to glorify Jesus. And the reason we say it's given to glorify Jesus is Revelation 19.10. It says that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And so we, we do it to glorify Jesus and to proclaim truth. But prophecy is grounded in a strong and consistent practice of time alone with God. It's, it's listening to God. It's developing patterns in our lives where we actually listen to what the Lord would say to us. Isaiah 50 verse 4. This is what Isaiah says. He's uh, speaking of himself. He says, the Lord God has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. And so, since every single one of us, no one's exempt, no one's excluded, every single one of us has the responsibility to cultivate a devotional life with the Lord, this also means that hearing God and operating in the prophetic is available to every single one of us. Acts 2, that's where when Peter gets up and he quotes from Joel 2, when the Holy Spirit's poured out and he says that your sons, all your sons and daughters, men and women, the Spirit will be poured out on them and they will prophesy. So you might be thinking right now, well, 
Like, I'm, not, I'm not sure how to cultivate that or I'm not even sure how to understand all this for my life. Like, what does this mean for me? And I would say, one, one of the first steps is take the Hearing God course. When we offer it, take it. It's a great tool to learn how to hear God, how to develop a devotional life that's consistent. If you're like, well, maybe you want to say, I want to take it again just to, to kind of grow more in my life with Jesus and in my devotional life. But growth, it's the growth and cultivation of time spent with Jesus, meaning reading his word, listening, journaling, praying. That's the foundation for growth in the prophetic. That, that has to be at the very foundation of hearing from the Lord. All right, let's go on. Let's read verses 6 to 19. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then... I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying. I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. All right, lots to kind of take in there, lots to process. What, what to make of the gift of tongues? That's the question. This is one of those secondary but controversial, potentially divisive uh, issues in the church. Or perhaps, you honestly, if you're, you're hearing you're like, I honestly don't care about tongues. And that might be you too. You're like, whatever. But Paul says we are to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. He spoke of wanting all the Corinthians to speak in tongues. And he says in verse 39, he says, do not forbid the speaking in tongues. And I wonder, do we communicate that even unknowingly, unwittingly in, when they're absent? That people are like, well, maybe they just don't. Maybe they just don't like to talk in tongues. I like to talk in tongues. But the mention of people being empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit to speak in different tongues or different languages first appears in where? Anyone remember? Where does it first appear in the New Testament? Acts 2, right on. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And one of the questions 
around tongues is, okay, are the tongues that are spoken in Acts 2 the same as the tongues that are spoken of by Paul in 1 Corinthians? Are we talking about the same thing? Because he uses the same Greek word for them all. But when we look at the different accounts, it seems as though we're not talking about the same gift of tongues. Acts 2 was a bunch of tongues released on people as the Holy Spirit's poured out, different languages that they were speaking. And all of a sudden, all these people of different ethnicities that were in Jerusalem for the Passover, they're hearing all their native tongues spoken of by people who have no idea what they're speaking. And they're like, you're speaking my language. You're speaking my language. And it was used by the Holy Spirit. On that day, 3,000 people were added to the church because they were like, whoa, God is moving. And it's almost like, it's, I won't get into this, but it's almost like it's a reversal of Babylon, right? Where God, he, he, all the people who were trying to build a tower uh, and without God and he confused them all with different languages. Now God was bringing people together. But in 1 Corinthians, while Paul speaks of, he uses the same word, but he speaks of tongues here in two different ways. Those who build, those that build up the church, providing that there's an interpretation, and those that are for personal edification, a personal prayer language. And that, that's actually the one that gets most of the focus here in what we just read. And you could even suggest that Paul might even be speaking of three different types of tongues here, because he also speaks of tongues of praise in verse 15, and it's really interesting because maybe that relates to Ephesians 5, where it goes on, be, go on being filled with the Spirit, speaking in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, he says. And so there's some who think that maybe he was talking about singing tongues. But it all speaks of being filled with the Spirit and, spirit and, and the tongues that accompany the filling. Now, there's, the thing is, there's a very different focus between Acts 2 in 1 Corinthians when it comes to tongues. Acts 2 was about evangelism. It was about salvation. It was about con the confirmation of the Holy Spirit being poured out and the church being established. While in 1 Corinthians 14, it's about personal edification and the building up of the church. And so it suggests that these tongues are not the same. In fact, Paul also says here that he says, I speak in tongues more than any of you in Corinth. And the wording of the Greek there, the tense that he's using, suggests that he's speaking of the gift. He's not bragging about the amount of languages that he knows that are more than everyone else. Okay, now if you're, not, if you're still with me, <laughs> it's a lot to take in. Additionally, there's other instances in Acts where the gift of tongues is mentioned. Acts 10 with Peter and Cornelius and Acts 19. And, and it isn't clear if those tongues in those two instances are the same as Acts 2 or whether they're different. It's not totally clear. I would suggest they're different based on what we see in Scripture and when we compare it alongside 1 Corinthians. But what is clear is that it, the gift comes unexpectedly through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, how do we understand the manifestation of tongues in the body? Meaning, someone publicly speaks, sings out in a tongue in a gathering. Now, question, if that happened here, would you be freaked out? Some of you might be, yeah, I'd be freaked out. We shouldn't be, Paul says, providing that there's a need for interpretation. If an interpretation is given alongside of it, that's key. But in the Greek, there were three nuances 
So the word here used for interpretation. And the one used by Paul suggests that he's speaking of the need to discern what was said as opposed to interpreting an actual language. There was a different tense for that, and he didn't use that. He was more speaking like, I'm going to discern what the person just spoke. So this, this then brings up some confusion in verses 20 to 25. If you've ever read 1 Corinthians 14 carefully, you might go, there seems to be a contradiction here to what Paul says and, and what he says about it being spoken in the church and being a sign for unbelievers. So let's read this. Verse 20, brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written, and he's quoting now out of Isaiah 28, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, Will he will be convicted by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his hearts of his heart will be laid bare so he will fall down and worship God exclaiming God is really among you So here's the here's where the contradiction comes in verse 22 Paul says okay tongues are a sign for unbelievers but then in verse 23, he seems to contradict himself where he says that if we're all speaking in tongues and seemingly without interpretation happening, so we're all just speaking in tongues and an unbeliever comes in here and he's like, you're all out of your minds. Like, what are you doing? Rather, Paul says the gift of prophecy will bring conviction for that person if it's present and he will turn and he will worship God because why? This, because the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Which, okay, this is, by the way, this is a really big endorsement for us to welcome prophecy into our midst. Like, really big. That we should, like, be eager to have the gift of prophecy operating here because it actually is witness to people coming in going, whoa, God is among you and he's here. So, what do we make of this, though? This, this contradiction where, like, is... Are tongues for unbelievers? Or are they not for unbelievers? Like, what's going on here? It's not actually a contradiction. Tongues are a sign for unbelievers in this, that the gift of the Spirit, for those who have the indwelling Spirit in them, and therefore, someone who comes in and is apart from Christ doesn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he can't have the gifts of the Spirit. And he comes in and doesn't understand what's going on, it's a sign to them in that they do not have the Spirit, which is why Paul's saying there, he quotes from Isaiah 28, saying that these people, they don't understand, they won't listen to me, and therefore, because they don't understand, it's a sign to them, but it leads to confusion. Prophecy, on the other hand, speaks to their hearts, and they will understand their need for the Lord. But, and this is the but, if the gift of tongues is spoken publicly and accompanied by someone bringing an interpretation, it's an incredible gift of God using specific people to speak to the body. An interpretation is a must. It is. But 
That doesn't mean we should shy away from this or try to avoid this in our worship. And be like, ah, we don't really want to go there. Paul doesn't say that at all. In fact, he says, eagerly desire this in your midst. I was, I was talking to uh, Greg from Calvary uh, Church last night. We were visiting and uh, we were, the gift of tongues came up. And he was talking about our, one of our last leaders conferences that we had at Gateway. I had already left. Uh, I was late at night and I had already left by that time. But someone gave publicly spoke a tongue and he said, uh, one of Peter Todd's daughters actually gave an interpretation and he said, it was powerful. He says, I was, I was absolutely stunned by how God was speaking through her, through the interpretation of the tongue. And I thought, oh, that's, like, that's what we're talking about. It's so good. It actually gripped people because they recognized this is the Lord speaking. But when it comes to tongues for personal edification meaning a personal prayer language between us and the Lord, chapter 14 strongly encourages this for our lives. Which is why, you know, when Ron comes here and he speaks about tongues and you go, man, like he really put an emphasis on tongues. Yeah, he did. It's, it's biblical. It's really biblical to desire the gift of tongues and to seek it and, and to, to ask the Lord for it. Now, some denominations, notably the Pentecostals, have seen tongues as evidence that a person is filled with the Spirit. That if you're not speaking in tongues, then you're not filled with the Spirit. Now, you can kind of see that out of Acts 10 or out of Acts 19, where tongues accompanies the filling of the Holy Spirit. So you can understand where that doctrine was kind of rooted in, but it's not really well supported by Scripture. And in fact, that doctrine is changing uh, in denominations right now as we speak. So verse 2, it says, Tongues is speaking to God uttering mysteries with our spirit. It's a prayer language that's fruitful for our spirits. Not fruitful for our minds, but fruitful for our inner man, if you will. It's another gift apart from praying with words and singing with words. It's a gift for building up our inner spirits. And we are to excel, it says there in verse 12, in gifts that build up the church. Yes, we should seek those. But that doesn't mean that we can't desire and ask for this gift that is of great benefit personally for us and for our walk with the Lord. The fact that Paul puts such an emphasis on this gift and his desire that the people would experience this gift shouldn't, shouldn't go unnoticed by us. The fact of how much time he spends here explaining it because it enables us to go deeper in our worship with Jesus, deeper in our adoration, deeper in our petition, deeper in our intercession. It deepens prayer lives. So some have claimed that speaking in tongues is a sign of a mental issues or mental illness. But there's actually been research specifically done into this. If you've ever heard that, there's actually been research that's been done, focused on this, and none of that has been shown to be true. Rather, when they've done studies of people speaking in tongues, they've found that it is a learned gift and serves to grow people in communion with God. And it brings psychological relief at a conscious level. There's a greater sense of God's presence and blessing in our lives. So tongues is a gift from God that helps us to concentrate on him coming into his presence and opens us up to the move of the spirit and his influence in us. J.I. Packer, he said this in his book, he said he wonders if through tongues, the Spirit helps us to release relation, ra, sorry, rational control on the surface 
in order to strengthen us at a deeper level. And this is an important observation when it comes to the gift of tongues. It requires vulnerability and humility to seek the gift because it is a release of control that you have to give up. It's just even just the way you physically have to release. Now, uh, I, I, I received the gift of tongues when we were at a service in Pensacola, Florida. Years ago, they had offered those who wanted to be filled with the Spirit and wanted the gift of tongues, they could go into a separate room and they'd pray for us and minister to us. And so I was really, I was really wanting this and seeking this. And so I went. And, you know, even in that, like, you've got to stand in a room, you know, you're, you're, you're before the Lord, you're praying, and then they're, they're, they're kind of teaching us, okay, like, open up your mouths and, and just see if there's any syllables that the Lord gives you, and just, there's a vulnerability in that, right? There is, there is just a humility that comes in that of, like, okay, I feel like, and, and there's other people around, so you're like, what are other people going to think of me? Well, we're all doing it together, so it was like, whatever, and, and I received three syllables there and I and to this day those are part of my tongue that the Lord gave me and I absolutely believe that the Holy Spirit filled me more up there and gave me the gift of tongues and so I was thinking about whether I don't I don't think no I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give you a, uh, an actual demonstration of it we'll, we'll leave that I was thinking about that but I, I won't I don't know if that's appropriate because it is it is for me it is my personal prayer language before the Lord that edifies me and strengthens me. Um, but certainly, we're going to have time at the end. If you want prayer, I'm, I'm more than happy to pray for that for you. Okay, so when we come together, practical considerations for when we come together. Let's read the seven verses in, uh, starting at verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. No, Paul says everyone. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should wait carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So Paul's giving really practical instructions here, right? There's obviously stuff. There's a lot of disorder in Corinth. And so I'm not saying that this is like we have to establish this as doctrine. Like no more than three. Fourth, sorry, sit down. The word says three. It's not, he's, he's giving instructions for this particular church. And so we have to handle that, you know, realizing that he's speaking into a specific situation. But the thing that I really notice here, and you might notice too, is that there's care for one another. It's not like, oh, I've got the prophetic gift and I'm going to show everyone what the Lord is saying. There's a, there's a humility here and like, this person also hears from the Lord. And if they feel like they have a, a word, I'm going to then, I'm going to give them room to share. I'm not going to take up all the oxygen. And they're here, these, these considerations, they're here as a means to encourage the presence of tongues and prophecy in the church. Don't miss that. This is, this is Paul's encouraging that this happens amongst us. 
This is, this is why we want to leave room for the prophetic in our midst. So how do we do this? Well, if, if someone, you know, if someone wants to share a scripture here as we're worshiping, go for it. Like if you're like, the Lord's put the scripture on my heart. Now, there's parts of scriptures that you might not want to share publicly. There's actually parts in the word where, you know, without context, people might be like, that might, that's a little weird. Like, why'd they share that Sunday morning? You know, like there's parts of the Bible, right? That, that you're like, they probably, de- <laughs> but again, why do we do this? Well, we're doing it within the context of, of worship. We're doing it to glorify Jesus and edify one another. So there's, there's your kind of guidelines. We're doing it to glorify the Lord, edify one another. But now if you, share scripture, but you're like, I actually feel the Lord is giving me a specific word or something on top of that scripture to share for the body, something that the Lord, a word, then we ask that that person goes and passes it by me as the pastor or the leader of the service, that they would just check and say, hey, hey, I've got a word. And, and then the leader of the service might go, you know what? Hey, can you just, can you just unpack that a little bit for me? Like what, what exactly do you feel the Lord is sharing? Uh, and, and they may ask that. And then you say, and they may say, hey, go for it. And they may go, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure if that this is the time right now. I, I shared previously, that's happened to me before where I submitted it to a leader and I was like, this is the word of the Lord. And he's like, yeah, I don't know, Paul. And I'm like, all right, got to just release that and and insert because I'm not the one leading in that case. But it, this, is, this fosters humility and surrender amongst us in how we give words. I, and you know, I've been in services where words are shared and they are a bit off. In fact, we've had a couple situations here where words have been shared and we've like, do we need to say something the next Sunday? Because that was a bit off. And, you know, there's those, those, you have those considerations. Uh, I know I've been in services where leaders, a word's been spoken and the next week they get up and they provide either clarification or they say, that word was off. We, we actually don't agree with that word that was spoken publicly and we, we feel the need that we need to state that. All right. Now you're like, if you're reading forward, you're like, okay, the next verses say that women should be silent in the churches. What's Paul going to do with that? <laughs> yeah, see? Some of you are like, yeah, I read 1 Corinthians 14. I wondered. Okay, I'm not. Paul is addressing specific situations in Corinth. That, that's what, some of what he's doing here in these chapters. And I'm not trying to avoid this, but it's kind of a different matter than our focus. Like that's, that's a whole nother sort of area that we go into. Women speaking in churches, women teaching in the churches, all that sort of thing. Now it does, what this really does highlight for us all say is that it, it highlights the importance of pursuing context when we read scripture. That you don't come and go, well, it literally says women should remain quiet in the churches they should never speak. Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, when women uh, pray or prophesy in the church. So he's already spoken earlier in the letter about women speaking out publicly. So um, there's actually a, an interpretation method. Uh, and you, you can look this up, but when you come to the New Testament, it's called cultural transposition. And it's really helpful in understanding the cultural nuances of the day and what some of what Paul may have been getting at. Um, Again, cl- clearly Paul didn't mean that women shouldn't speak in the church. He's already said that they, he's already referenced that they did. Theologians, they think that there was probably a group of women who were misusing their freedom in the church. Now understand, in the Roman Empire, women did not have hardly any rights. 
They, they really were like, they were treated as property. And so they came into the church and Paul's writing, there is no male or female nor, nor Greek nor Jew. Like there was this freedom that was in the church operating where women were like, this is not like the culture. And so there's some thought that there were some that were taking it too far. And Paul seemed to suggest there was a lot of just outbursts in the, in the gatherings and they weren't honoring their husbands. And so that's why he addresses this. And in fact, Paul has, sorry, he uses sarcasm here. Like he says, did the word of God originate with you? Like, of course not. Or are you the only people it has reached? So there was like, he's using sarcasm to get at obviously an issue that was going on in the church. Now, having said that, if you're interested in that, I've written a paper on women teaching in the church. I'd be more than happy if you're interested in reading it and delving, I delve into a little bit more of it in detail uh, and about why we support and affirm women speaking in and preaching in the church. Um, but you can ask me for that if you'd like that. So I, I feel like there's a lot more that we could delve into with tongues. Like we're, we're kind of just scratching the surface with tongues and prophecy this morning. And I'm, I'm having, like, as I was going through it this week, I'm like, I'm having to leave stuff out just for the sake of time. And there's, there's, I understand there's lots to digest here intellectually. Like, I've got it here, and I'm, I'm going through notes, but I'm sure if you're listening, like, this is a lot to digest. You might even want to go back and, and re-listen to, if you're really wanting to delve into this. And, and see, that, that's the thing, too. The fact that this is so, in a sense, intellectual is a problem for us because this is not simply what we're talking about actually isn't a matter of intellectual doctrine. It's, we're seeking to understand where there was instances of experiences with the Holy Spirit, where there was presence, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit was moving experientially in the church and tongues and prophecy were part of these manifestations that were going out and being released. And so we're looking at words and we're trying to understand this. You see where there's kind of like, that's, that's a problem. Because what we're doing here in this series is meant to lead us not to have more knowledge. If you go away from 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 and you've just got a bunch of just intellectual knowledge in your head, in your left brain from what I've said, that's, like, that's not the point. The point here is that this would lead us to desire what is normative in Scripture for the church, how we operate in the gifts of the Spirit and how we welcome this in our midst and go, oh yeah, okay, understanding, that's helping me and I now want to desire more of this. In verse 23, it's really interesting. I'm going I'm to end on this. Paul speaks of those in the church who do not understand tongues or perhaps another way of understanding that is someone who's in the church who hasn't been exposed to tongues and they're like, what, what is all this? What's going on? And Paul's hope there is that they will understand that God is in their midst and that they will end up worshiping God. So as I was preparing this week, I was reminded of a conference I was at three years ago where uh, Sam Storms, he's a pastor in the U.S., he spoke on qu not quenching the Holy Spirit or the danger of quenching the Holy Spirit. And I I remember coming into this, this sermon, into that, that session at the conference, and I was like, oh man, I'm like, 
I am so excited. Like I, I really value Soundstorm's teaching. And I was like, he's going to like really unpack this. And, and so he's excited, right? Like I'm, I'm a charismatic and I'm, I'm in this conference and I'm like, yes, they're talking about quenching the spirit. By the end, I, I was deeply convicted. Like deeply, deeply convicted of what the Lord was, had said through him. And a lot of that sermon resonates with me to this day. I go back to it and I, and I look at some of the things he said because God spoke so powerfully there. Quenching the spirit is not something to be understated or ignored in the church. That's one thing I took, the one thing I took away from that was quenching the spirit is serious business. We can play pretend church really well in our culture. We just come and we just do the things we're used to doing and, you know, and we can actually have no appetite for the Holy Spirit. And that's so, so dangerous for our life with Christ. It's so dangerous. So the invitation is to pursue. The invitation is to seek. The invitation is to hunger. The invitation is to ask. The invitation is to be vulnerable to have others pray for you for more of the Holy Spirit in your life. You go, I, I want more of the Holy Spirit. I want others to pray for me with that. To eagerly desire spiritual gifts and eagerly desire the gifts of tongues and prophecy. I think that's thoroughly and entirely biblical. So, Jen, why don't you come up? We're gonna, we're gonna end. I know this went a little bit long. I want to I give an invitation for more of the Spirit this morning. Sort of, sort of held off on that a little bit last week. I mean, you, there was that sort of, but I, I want to give a, just a clear invitation for more of the Spirit this morning. Meaning, if you would like more of the Holy Spirit, we would love to pray for you. We'd love to pray for the gift of tongues. We'd love to pray for the spirit of prophecy to be released. The gift of prophecy to be given to you that God can do that. And we want to pray for more and just stir hunger and expectations. And we do that through prayer, folks. We do that through prayer. So, amen. Let's, uh, let's worship. And if you desire to come up and, and uh, let's, just, let's just listen to the Lord and let's pray as he leads us.